0: Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host Brandon Adams. So when we can be entertaining around here we want to be able to do that and sometimes that means giving you a little bit of a laugh. Now some of the things that cause us to laugh in life are not always jokes they're just the kind of things that are almost unintentionally funny maybe an example of that off the top of the program here today. Now we'll get Mike Griffith coming up later on for the NFL scouting combine that'll be good. Uh, we'll take a look at uh, the Georgia guys there getting ready to do some big things make a name for themselves in the NFL Draft. We'll also take a look at a closer look at a story we probably haven't given enough attention to already this week, so we'll do all that coming up. Before that, though, let me give you this just for fun. There's a guy named Matt Hayes, longtime writer with the Sporting News, uh, now working for Saturday Down South, and he has a very interesting column up at Saturday Down South right now. Now, listen, generally speaking, I kind of like Hayes. I feel like he's got some provocative opinions and he's almost like the old school guy. And I still appreciate this, like kind of like the old school columnist who kind of throws out a hot take and then spends some time trying to back up his take with uh, whatever it is that he writes. Honestly, like I think there's still a place for that. And I don't mind that. But when we see something that we think is kind of ridiculous, we're going to kind of do our part to kind of point that out to you. So here's what he says at Saturday on South here at the beginning of the week. He says, this is the headline, laugh all you want. But Tennessee is the next elite SEC East beast. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, another beast in the SEC East and uh, elite in Tennessee being used in the, in the same sentence here by a uh, longtime veteran writer Matt Hayes. I find this to be a, a little bit silly. I think some of you probably will there as well. In fact, let me kind of dig a little deeper here and show you what uh, Hayes says in the uh, story about all of this he says once again to kind of you know play on the theme of humor he says the concept was laughable merely two seasons ago but it can no longer be denied Tennessee is a threat again in the SEC because the Vols will have one of the two best offenses in the conference he says now I mean listen I don't mind telling you the Tennessee offense is is pretty good here and I don't mind telling you that during the season we had some respect for that ourselves I find though um The way in which Hayes pushes this point to be a little exaggerated, and I find this to be the kind of thing that we see this happen each and every year. And and listen to the extent that there is any anti-Georgia bias out there, I I honestly do not believe it exists because anyone doesn't like UGA or doesn't like Kirby Smart or doesn't like whatever else. I, I don't I don't believe that to be true. And I've told you this before. That the kind of anti UGA bias that Georgia potentially suffers from is related to just the nature of the same old, same old, just feels very boring to people who are tasked with writing offseason columns. Now, it's not boring to us because it's our team. And, you know, it's fun to come on here and talk over and over again about how Georgia is going to win everything because that's what we want to see happen. But if you're running for Saturday down south, that is not what you want to see happen, not because you hate Georgia, but just because you want something new. And so in February, there's all or, you know, moving into March, there is always going to be that desire to see if you can pump up something else hey Tennessee offense Hendon Hooker coming back don't worry about the defense and don't worry about whatever else uh but just focus on how how sexy and exciting that offense is and uh let that be enough to say that this is a threat this is uh this is the next elite SEC East beast how many times do we see this kind of same thing pushed with Florida or a couple of years ago was also pushed with Tennessee except it was like Jeremy Pruitt during pandemic level recruiting that there's Always, just this, this, this wish, this hope that maybe something's going to happen to make it a little less boring. You know, Georgia not just being a rubber stamp in the SEC East or Alabama a rubber stamp in the SEC West, or the SEC champion or rubber stamp in the playoff or whatever else. There's just always this hope that maybe something prevents this from being the same old, same old. And Matt Hayes, kind of the latest here when it comes to all that kind of hoping that tennessee can kind of up in the the expected outcome which is georgia once again dominating this division in fact the gap between georgia and the rest of this division right now on paper seems to be about as wide as it has been in quite some time because like you can talk up Tennessee if you want to, but the one thing that Tennessee probably won't be this year that Florida was in a couple of the previous years, kind of a preseason top 10 level team as a team that actually beat Georgia in 2020 and, you know, it's kind of top 10 level, what, 18, 19, you know, 20, like you know right now tennessee doesn't actually start this upcoming year with is nearly as much steam as as florida would have had in some of those previous years so if anything with florida's now demise with a brand new coach and billy napier the, actually the gap between Georgia and much of the rest of the division is now wider than it has been so much so that florida's not the team that you hype up anymore as a hopeful threat to uga now you got to turn your attention north to knox one saying well maybe it's tennessee that can be though what was it called before the elite the beast the sec east uh ready to be a threat to uh uga now in fairness what happened for josh heupel year one there with the uh vols did get some positive attention and frankly we even here on this show we thought that uh that the that that heupel did a pretty good job better than we would have assumed given the roster holes that he had he was honored recently as like one of the football riders association of america first year coaches he and shane beamer shared that award Uh if you want to go back to that awards uh ceremony, this is going back to the end of last year, Heipel did, you know, talk about the the challenge that he faced and the obstacles that he overcame. To have a successful first year at Tennessee last season and even if we laugh at Tennessee competing and threatening Georgia here this year we don't laugh at the idea that the Tennessee probably was better a year ago than we ever gave them credit for and we don't mind admitting it when we got a little bit wrong and on Tennessee last year we probably did this is Hypo taking the victory lap on what he accomplished in his first season
1: and coming to Tennessee obviously there was a lot of outside noise we were able to quiet the storm quiet the chatter our kids bought in immediately into what we're doing They understood that the connection and accountability were going to be extremely important in the success that we were going to have. We never placed a ceiling in what our players inside of the program could do. We believed that there were great players inside of it. They bought into it and they worked extremely hard. And uh, as as well as we played uh, at times last year, um, we were disappointed when the outcome wasn't what we wanted because we knew we had enough to, to go win on those days. Uh, excited about the future, uh, what we've been able to do in year one, but what we're able to, to build upon here is we get started in year two when our kids back, get back to campus.
0: Yeah, so listen, I think everything that Heupel says there is correct. I think the Football Writers Association of America was correct in honoring Heupel for what he did year one. There is no doubt that he's in the process of, I think, producing a turnaround there for uh, Tennessee. But the idea that the turnaround is going to happen so quick that the Vols could threaten UGA in the SEC East this year, or as Matt Hayes goes on to say in this story at SaturdayOnSouth.com, actually topple Georgia and then play Alabama in the SEC title game that is just kind of wishful thinking of a media who always wants to accelerate stories faster than they can actually reasonably thought to occur. And this whole notion, that this whole thing can be led by offense. You've heard me say this over and over again. Yes, the Tennessee offense is good, but the idea that it doesn't matter how good they are on defense and the fact that you excuse away bad defensive performances because the offense is so good. That's just a misunderstanding of football. You know, in this uh, particular story, uh hay says the vols have the best quarterback not named bryce young they've already got a dangerous offense poised to boom in year two under hypo and as we've seen late in college football those who score points in bunches are those that win games that matter he says lsu overwhelmed alabama in 2019 with an offense so devastating it simply had to outscore alabama but here's the problem though while that is you know potentially active fodder for a column in which you're arguing for an offensive minded football team having success The actual truth is, we've highlighted this over and over again, that the Alabama offense was also great in 2019 there as well. In fact, if you go back and watch the LSU-Alabama showdown uh, in Tuscaloosa that year, they're both scoring in bunches. But ultimately for Alabama, who had been the favored expected winner coming into the season – the reason why they didn't is they gave up 40 plus points twice in both their regular season losses their defense didn't show up at all this idea what well, just goes to prove that defense doesn't matter no i think what it proves is is for a great offense like alabama that season not having any defense open the door for somebody else to overtake them in the case of lsu that's exactly what they did because by the end of that season and you remember this the emergence of Derek stingley and others while lsu was never a great defense they were a better defense than alabama was it was the combination of that complimentary football that gave LSU a chance to overtake Alabama, that the people who want to diminish the role of defense in the conversation at all are making a grave mistake, and we've said that over and over again. But beyond that, just to keep it to Georgia and Tennessee here for a moment, here is one of the reasons why I'm comfortable telling you that it's okay to laugh at Matt Hayes suggesting that Tennessee is going to be the kind of team that sneaks up on UGA. Here's why I don't believe that's true, because we know that for the most part, nobody really sneaks up on UGA. In fact, this Tennessee team in 2021 who you know was kind of on the way to being a little bit of a surprise team and on the way to being the the, the kind of team that was that was getting some uh, attention even that team wasn't really able to sneak up on uh, Georgia last season late in the year Georgia kind of already wrapped up the SEC East but going into that game Kirby Smart already knew that Josh Hyper was doing some pretty good things and made a point to make sure his team was aware of that there as well Going into that game, here's a reminder from last November.
1: Maybe focusing on Tennessee. You know, I mean, playing in a, a really tough environment, one of the toughest places to play in the country. Um, their fan base is is bought in, all in on Coach Heupel and his staff. Uh, it will be a, a tremendous atmosphere and opportunity in which so many other conferences don't have teams that maybe aren't in the hunt for, you know, maybe an SEC championship that have that much passion that they're going to sell it out and be really loud. It will be a great atmosphere, and our players will need to prepare for it. We will need to prepare our players for it. It's going to be a really tough physical game. They've got a really good football team. I've been able to watch them play, you know, several weeks that we've either been off or we had this early game and you get to see them at night. And they've actually played a lot better than some of their scores indicate. And uh, I've got a lot of respect for their team and, 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 and how hard they play.
0: So the point here is, if Tennessee couldn't sneak up on Georgia last year, and they couldn't, by the way, Georgia dominated the football game. What's the final score? 41-17. Yeah, 41-17. If Tennessee couldn't sneak up on Georgia last year, they are definitely not going to sneak up on Georgia this year with an offseason's worth of hype where guys like Matt Hayes are saying, "Hey, watch out for Tennessee, the new beast in the SEC East. That's just not going to happen. In fact, I would say that one of the more impressive things that Georgia did all last season was going into a hostile environment, taking Tennessee's best shot at the beginning of that game, and emerging as the easy winner. It was one of the things that kind of led me to believe that, hey, you know what, maybe Georgia really can win this year's national championship. In fact, with a little bit of context on that, let me let you hear how happy Kirby Smart was when it was all said and done versus the Vols last season, once again from November.
1: I can't say enough about the leaders on this team. You know, After that game against Missouri, to have three guys stand up in the locker room and I don't know what we won 40 to six or what I don't even know what the score was but they they said that it wasn't acceptable the way we approached the game the way we handled the game and I knew right then that we were going to be okay this week now I still worried a lot but those guys said everybody better be in there to lift everybody better be on time And it just took over the team and it permeated through them all week. And I thought Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we had really good practices. Um, Tough place to play. I think the way the game started, they start that way on a lot of people. And we talked to our guys about taking their best shot. Um, But we didn't come up here to take shots. We came up here to throw them. And uh, our offense came right back with a huge drive, which I thought was huge for us to start that way it gives the defense some confidence and uh let's get our feet underneath this kind of did a tremendous job and uh proud of the way the
0: guys played we didn't come up here to take a shot we came up here to throw a shot that's what kirby smart said last november i mean honestly do you think he's going to get caught off guard by Tennessee in 2022 when in 2021 they're going up there in, uh, in 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 Knoxville looking to throw shots, looking to be the aggressor, looking to take Tennessee seriously even back then? I think this is one of those things where Georgia fans should feel pretty comfortable laughing about this. Yeah, Tennessee's probably getting better, but the kind of better you have to get to be on Georgia's radar as a true threat to beat the dogs, I'd suggest the Vols are still a long way away from that. My name is brandon adams and this is dog nation daily the daily podcast for georgia bulldogs fans so happy to tell you that for the first time here today i'm happy to say that we are presented to you by our friends at breda Pest management they've been doing it around the atlanta area since 1975 and they are also the official pest control provider of uga athletics there as well that means they're taking care of Foley field the equestrian complex also sanford stadium there as well and if they're doing that for the home of the dogs what can they do for your home there as well? Because they take care of you when it comes to bugs and critters. Now, listen, there are a lot of companies that may do the one or not the other, but Breda Pest Management does both of those for you. And if you're a homeowner in the Atlanta area and across the state of Georgia, so many of our folks are, it's important to keep this in mind because, you know, think about the field there in Athens for a second. It's a hundred yard football field. Well, in a space that size, you're talking about the possibility of over a million termites. These are like silent, destroyers of your home, right? So you have to have a pest management company that you trust to keep your home safe, to keep you protected, much the same way they've been protecting Sanford Stadium and the home where uh, Georgia plays all the time. They can do the same thing for you, and they've been doing that since 1975 there as well. They are the pest Uh, service that we trust here at dog nation we want you to be able to trust them there as well easy to get started with them as we get started with uh, them on our show today you can get started with them there as well as your past management service just simply visit them online at bredapest.com now if you're listening to me radio podcast understand how this is spelled it's b-r-e-d-a b-r-e-d-a that's bredapest.com Uh, Happy to have Breda Pest Management as a part of Dog Nation Daily here today. Big, big friend of ours. Uh, Matt and the entire team over there have been. We've seen him at football games, hung out with him at tailgates. These are big dog people, big you know, football fans. And they've also been dedicated to the service when it comes to pass management for a long time, both for UGA and for UGA fans all across our great state. And now part of dog nation daily there as well. All right, Let me take care of a little bit of business here. So Mike Griffith is in Indianapolis. I told him, we try to get to him a little bit earlier. So, uh, Michael Carvel, our producer, if you don't mind, let's postpone around the doghouse for right now. We're going to do some stuff on Fran Brown on that. Let's postpone that for right now. Cause I want to try to take care of Mike here who I told we told him we'd try to get to him a little early in the show. So we'll do some more stuff here in a moment on Fran Brown, the new defensive backs coach at UGA. This is a guy that probably deserves more attention than we've given him thus far this week. We've just been so preoccupied with the Stacy Searles news and there are a lot of reasons why the Searles thing probably kind of leaps to the forefront of the conversation uh among the rest the fact that it happened more recently but now that we've given due attention to Searles as a replacement for Matt Luke somewhat surprising news that uh Luke was moving on uh going back to last week it's also important to look at the other assistant coach that uh UGA just hired and so as a part of around the doghouse in a little bit we will uh we'll look at Fran Brown a little more closely. In fact. Some recent things that Brown has said about his own biography that he himself finds finds important that I think uh, help tell us about why he's you know potentially a big time ad there for UGA. So we'll do that coming up later on. But for now, from Indianapolis, a lot of dogs trying to make a name for themselves this week. Also, recapping a lot of busy news for UGA as of late. Let's do that all with Mike Griffith here today as part of Dog Nation Daily presented by Breda Pest Management. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a dognation.com insider. We'll say little to Mike Griffith here and get some thoughts from him on what's happening in there in Indianapolis here coming up in a couple of minutes. Before that, though, Mike, let me um, let me do a couple of things here on some of these new coaches just hired at UGA and as I said before, over the course of our time today, we're going to try to give a little more attention to the to the Fran Brown thing because we probably haven't done enough of that as of yet. Uh, let's go back in time here for a moment. What do you think of UGA adding Brown there as cornerbacks coach, working in tandem now with uh, Will Muschamp, and kind of what this means for UGA, the addition coming here from uh, Rutgers? What do you Fran think about Brown,
2: that? I heard good things about MBA. You know, I've, I've talked to uh, you know some some uh, parents uh, players. Were recruited by Fran Brown <clears throat> about how he plays, about how he develops talent in the NFL. A lot of guys uh, from Rutgers have gone and had some success there. So, I mean, that's a big hire. You know, you want to get a guy that's a, a great developer of talent, a guy that can work really well, uh, you know, with the staff and, and, and be a good fit, right? You also want to make sure the guy's a good fit for the
0: staff. So uh, okay. it seems like a really strong hire. Uh, for Kirby Smart, a uh, veteran guy, I, I think one of the better hires Kirby made. And, you know, a guy that spent some time around, like, say, Matt Rule or spent some time around uh, Greg Sciano. Right. Now, you can say what you want about Schiano, I guess. But but this is a guy who's kind of been kind of an up-and-comer in the coaching ranks, working with, and in Rule's case, a guy that's gone on to be an NFL head coach. So, certainly, it's a pedigree and training kind of outside the SEC footprint, but he's also worked with a lot of respected coaches.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, football's football. I mean, you know, guys – the SEC is the best conference, the pre conference, but there's other good coaches uh, from other leagues out there and other good developers of talent. It's, uh, you know, no real trade secrets, but it's, it's how guys can connect with the players and motivate the players. And, you know, everything I've heard about Fran Brown is, you know, he's a veteran. I, I think the bigger question is really more about on the Georgia side of it, BA. I mean, this is the fourth DB coach for Kirby Smart in five years. And, you know, can, can Kirby give these guys a little room to work? You know, we heard that, you know, Jamal and you know, wanted, wanted to teach some things a different way, maybe. And, you know, Kirby's very stringent in how he wants to do things. And, you know, as we all know, everybody, everybody works in different environments. You know, you, you kind of got to let people do their jobs. And uh, I think this is big for Kirby, though, to show that, you know, now that he's got a proven veteran back there, that he can keep this guy around for a few years.
0: On the other side, Stacey Searles hired his offensive line coach. the a guy that Georgia fans feel like they have some familiarity with going back to his time here at UGA from 2007 to 2010. That's probably not a a, a brilliant era of uh, of offensive line play, to be fair. And long history, number of other schools there as well. And once again, probably some ups some some downs for Searles. Uh, this was not universally celebrated by UGA fans. There's some trepidation here. What do you think about the hire of Searles?
2: Well, I mean, um, you know, Mark Rick hired him twice. Uh, Mac Brown hired him twice. You know, those are two Hall of Fame coaches. And I think Mark Rick will end up in the Hall of Fame. Mac Brown is certainly a Hall of Fame coach. And, you know, Mark Rick hired Kirby Smart, too. He's got a pretty good eye for time. tell it. You know, Brian McClellan is the guy that came back. And, you know, I like the hire. Uh, I think it's a solid hire. I, I think for what Georgia wants to do on the offensive line, the way they want to run the ball. I mean, you know, you say 2007 to 10 wasn't that great, but. Boy, No. Sean Marino should look good running the ball back there. I think Georgia could use a No. Sean Marino performance out of Kenny McIntosh this year. Hopefully, you'll see one. But a lot of talent there on the Georgia offensive line, and, and you know, just being completely candid, just you know, talking to different people again. I think Matt Luke did a good job, but I don't know that Matt Luke really ever raised up to the level of Sam Pittman, if we're going to be honest about it. And uh, I, I think this is a chance for Georgia, you know, not only to maintain, but you know, Searles has got a reputation of developing good lines that can lead leagues in rushing. Two years in a row, North Carolina led the ACC in rushing. And say what you want, talent's relative there. But uh, talking with Mark Richt about it earlier this week, Brandon, he said, you know, the thing he liked about Stacy Searles' lines when he hired him away from Nick Saban at LSU originally was how physical and strong and tough Stacy Searles' players were. So, uh, I, I don't really understand the, the criticism on this one i think it's confusing um, to me uh, because I've, I've heard stacy Searle's name in the business for a long time and uh, you know he's a veteran coach that uh, a, lot, a lot of people you know thinks pretty good
0: Turning our attention to the NFL Combine here for a moment. You're in Indianapolis there. That's obviously a sign of some recent success for UGA and some former UGA players now. Also, hope it works out well for them in terms of uh, their chance to impress NFL draft scouts here this week. I guess starting with uh, wide receiver George Pickens here today. Give me a little bit of a preview of what you expect to see while you're up there in Indy.
2: Wow. You know, 14 Bulldogs over the next three days. Now, it's going to start out slow. George is the only Bulldog that's going today quarterback and receivers is the group. And uh, just posted a story on John Mechie and uh, Georgia fans probably have a pretty good idea what's coming there. He was asked by an NFL reporter if the championship game would have been different if he was healthy or if Jameson Williams had not gone down. We're going to hear this the whole off season, the whole what if thing, right? I guess we heard it after 2017, you know, uh, now Alabama's going to keep telling everybody they could have, should have, would have, not a surprise. And it's going to take more than once, you know. If, if there's one thing I'm picking up on, just being it's going to take more than once for the nation to be convinced that Georgia's really knocked Bam off that top rope. We'll find out. We'll find out over time. I'll tell you what, Georgia's on top here. 14 guys are going to be here now. That's a program record, and I think Georgia could have uh, 14 or 15 guys drafted. Brandon, I mean, the school record nine. And certainly most of these guys here are going to be drafted. So uh, today Pickens, a guy who wants to creep into the first round, needs to run a really good number, needs to interview well. And uh, as we know, he really wasn't allowed to talk much at Georgia. Kirby kind of kept him behind the scenes. He didn't really let George Pickens ever talk. So I think there's a lot of anticipation to hear what George Pickens will have to say here today in Indianapolis. One
0: of the things I've been asked a lot recently is is kind of, you know, who has the best chance on the UGA crew to kind of make a name for themselves or what's the, maybe the most interesting. And I find myself, when I asked about this, kind of gravitating towards, you know, defense front seven, maybe defensive line in particular, you know, guys like Devontae White, guys like Trayvon Walker, who I think are going to be very attractive for these draft scouts. We've obviously paid a lot of attention to Jordan Davis already. But when you think about, you know, And maybe this goes beyond the scouting combine. You start bringing in the UGA Pro Day and a lot of the pre draft process, too. Like, what are the big draft storylines that you're paying the most attention to uh, for UGA as it kind of gets going today with George?
2: Well, you mentioned Trayvon Walker and Jordan and Kobe Dean and Devontae Wyatt. You know, could we see four Georgia players picked in the first round? That would be a program record, right? A few years back, I think he had three. Uh, Chubb was in that mix with Roquan Smith, I believe, maybe it was Sony. There was three after the 2017 season. Okay. Could we see a record four guys in the first? And Jordan Davis has actually slipped out of the first round in some projections, Brandon. So I'm I'm really interested to see uh, how does Jordan show up here, show up and show out. You know, what's he going to look like? How much is he going to weigh? You know, last time we saw him, he was over 340, and you know Kirby always wanted him. You know, Kirby was always watching that weight. And uh, I'll be real interested to see how he shows up and shows out here, and if he can get himself back. In that first-round conversation, I mean, of course, N'Kobe, Trayvon, as you mentioned, Devontae, we know what they're going to do. I mentioned Pickens today. Can he slide into the first round? Maybe. You know, James Cook is a guy that I think is intriguing. I think if James can run a really good number, you know, maybe he can move up. You know, he, he slid a little bit in the projections after skipping out on the senior bowl at the last minute. That that wasn't, you know, it, it, it wasn't a good thing. Hey, so a lot of people want to see him here. They want to see what he can do. I think if he runs a good number, I think James Cook could enter the second round conversation because I think he's dynamic. And I think running backs, especially the versatile ones, I think they're making a little bit of a comeback because you're seeing just how much of a weapon they could be catching the ball in the backfield. And certainly his pedigree as Dalvin Cook's little brother does not hurt him in this NFL circle. So that's another guy I'm kind of. Channing Tindell, you know, just kind of flying under the radar a little bit. You know, we remember those pursuit angles and just. How he flashed at times this year, um, you know, could he be a guy that could could be a, a sneaky uh, pick, a guy that's you know silently creeping up in the NFL draft? Uh, Quay Walker, is he healthy? Quay pulled out of the Senior Bowl with injury. Is he healthy enough to work out here? And if so, how will he work out and how will he turn out? And of course, you know the offensive linemen. You know a couple of Sam Pittman recruits there with uh, Justin Schaefer and Jamari Salyer. You know, big Ben Cleveland went a little bit earlier last year. A lot of people thought. So, you know, George offensive lineman, pretty well thought of. Haven't heard a lot of buzz for Jamari and Justin Schaefer, but obviously they'll have an opportunity here to make some noise.
0: Mike, good stuff. I know you're there in Indianapolis. We may even have a surprise or two from you before we're done on the show today, which would be kind of cool. So, we will uh, let you continue to cover that for us here at uh, Dog Nation. We'll look forward to speaking to you soon, very uh, soon as well, on uh, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management here today. Appreciate it, P.A. Good stuff there from uh, Mike Griffith uh here on dog nation daily presented by brada pest management today in indianapolis following all of that big day coming up for uh, george pickens will some so we'll certainly be watching all that closely let me kind of transition back to what i was going to do we kind of went out of order a little bit because i wanted to try to get mike uh early in the show today to give him a chance to do everything up there in indianapolis that he needs to do and it is kind of cool by the way to think of georgia being back or at least a lot of these georgia guys being back in indianapolis a site that'll you know, I don't know that I've ever really spent a whole lot of time in my life thinking about Indianapolis prior to this past January, but uh, now I guess I'll probably think about it fondly uh, almost every day for the rest of my life, including uh, now with those guys back up there at Lucas Oil Stadium again. Uh, so uh, we wish them well as they get ready to move on with that here this week. And around the doghouse here for a moment, looking at the hiring of uh, Fran Brown. You heard uh, Mike Griffith sharing some of his thoughts about that a moment ago coming in here as a cornerbacks coach, obviously uh Will Muschamp focusing in on those safeties. This in a lot of ways, I think, is reflective of the change that's been ongoing with college football in general. That Listen, almost every single play now, more often than not, you're playing, what, nickel coverage, five defensive backs that, you know, about half of your defense is now made up of defensive backs. So the idea that you'd have one assistant coach responsible for that many players when Georgia's rotating, not as much at safety, but at cornerback, Georgia's rotating a pretty good bit. You're playing a good number. of of defensive backs and you have a good number of your 11 guys on the field who kind of technically qualify as defensive backs so having a coaching situation and kind of a recruiting assignment that reflects just the large number of defensive backs you play that probably makes some sense and in the case of Brown he kind of comes in as kind of an interesting outlier you know Georgia has hired a lot of guys over the course of this offseason who do have previous ties to the program or and a lot of respects, You look at the uh, the, the totality of, of of the assistant coaches that Georgia has. A lot of those guys hail from the state of Georgia. Brown is a guy who has a little bit of a different pedigree on all of that. I went back and kind of looked at his time there at Rutgers, and I found some comments from him where you know he was talking about you know kind of how he got into coaching and kind of what matters to him, and in his own words, pointing out a couple of interesting biographical points that I think helped sell him to the Rutgers family there when he was defensive backs coach under Greg Schiano, and now also, I think, remain pretty relevant here for UGA there as well. So let me let you hear Brown here, the new cornerbacks coach, Georgia, in his own words, going back to his time in Piscataway with the Scarlet Knights.
1: Hey, no, I'm Fran Brown. I'm the secondary coach here at Rutgers University. At Rose, head football coach of the Carolina Panthers, he recruited me to play for him. He said, friend, I want you to get involved in football. And I was like, you think I could do it? He said, yeah, you should have been doing it. I think the moon and the stars all matched up the right way. That's my state. That's where I'm from. When you're from a state and you get to coach for the biggest program in the state, Coachiano, he just wants to win. But he doesn't just want to win at football, he want the players that he's coaching to win at life, to win going to class, to win on things. And he's wanting to get, do that with the coaches also, so that means a lot to me. It means a lot, and you know, I have a lot to uphold of being having the opportunity of coaching.
0: So there are a couple of things from a biographical standpoint. I kind of want to point out there for a moment. First of all, the name you hear Brown mentioned in the beginning is Matt Rule, saying that Rule had recruited him as a player, and then at the end of his career says, "Hey, we think you need to be a coach. You need to get involved. You need to get involved in coaching." And I'll say the same thing about this that I said when Georgia hired its new outside linebackers coach. One of the things that I notice about guys who I don't know very well, and in the case of you know Uzodere, I didn't really know him very well, and uh, in the case of you know, Fran Brown probably did not know very much about him before he was hired one of the things that I do notice is is that fast risers are going to get my attention in other words Matt Rule is a guy now you can say well his time at Carolina has been somewhat shaky or whatever else but there is no one who's going to say that, that Matt Rule doesn't know football that if that if somehow Rule were to be out of a job there in Carolina he'd have any choice of college head coaching jobs he wants to take again or maybe stay in the NFL whatever else that Matt Rule is clearly a very respected football coach so a guy who was a respected football coach identifying in Brown the kind of thing that said, hey, I think you need to be a coach. I think you need to get involved in football. And much the same way, Les Miles, you can say what you want to about him, identifying uh, Uzzurribe as a guy who I want to make an on-field coach here pretty quick because I recognize those personality traits, those credentials that are just innate in him to make him be that way. Apparently, Fran Brown had some of that that also uh also also got the attention of a guy like Matt Rule who I think we would all say we have respect for as a football coach then beyond that here's the other thing about Brown that kind of jumps out at me now in this video obviously you know speaking on behalf of the State University of New Jersey talking about his New Jersey ties there's a little bit of kind of that's what you're supposed to say in a situation like that but let's take that seriously for a moment if Rand Brown says hey I'm a New Jersey guy I'm a New Jersey guy I don't know if that that's such a bad thing for UGA. And listen, I think those of us who are like, you know, true SEC homers, and I've never apologized for, for being one of those guys. I clearly, you know, think that the brand of football played down here in the deep south is far better than the version played almost anywhere else, that we have a tendency to sort of ride off anything north of the Mason-Dixon line is not worthy of our attention. And for the most part, that's true. The state of New Jersey, though, is one of those that's a little bit of an outlier there, just as, as a quick comparison here for a moment. That if you look at the 24-7 sports composite player rating for the 2023 class, there are six four-star prospects in New Jersey. There are only eight in the state of Tennessee. So in, in terms of, you know, the relative dearth of talent that exists in the North and certainly in the Northeast, for whatever reason, the state of New Jersey has kind of always been an area where that's not necessarily true. It's actually a, a hotter bed for recruiting, you might think. Some of the best players, for instance, that Jim Harbaugh has gotten in Michigan have come from the state of New Jersey. that has been a little bit of a pipeline there. Wisconsin has had a pipeline to the state of New Jersey over the years that, that it's actually one of those geographic spots that having a little bit of a tie to is probably not that bad of a thing. I'm not saying that Georgia's going to build its... uh. <laughs> It's, it's 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 talent pipeline there in the garden state that's not what i'm saying although in the case of nosha Moreno, didn't work out too badly for uga my point though is is that if you are the kind of program that has the ability to recruit nationally getting a great player to the state of new jersey at some point in time is not an unreasonable thing to expect to happen and so fran brown's ties to that state are probably not a negative it's probably a, a pretty good thing because uh new jersey's you know fairly talent rich area all the way around Of course, I have no idea how well this is going to work out. This is not the kind of guy that I knew a ton about before he got here, but I do think from his resume, from his biography, there are some things that recommend him. If a guy like Matt Rule liked him, that's the kind of thing that makes it easy to probably agree with if a guy like this is you know working there at Rutgers and developing deep ties to a state that's not really you know barren when it comes to the kinds of guys who could be going to play in the SEC that's probably not a bad thing either young up-and-coming guy pretty hungry those guys seem to work out pretty well for Georgia smarts had a pretty good eye for talent when it comes to these things before recognizing those who are on their way up maybe Fran Brown the latest example of that But with his hiring and the Serral's hiring, it appears that Georgia's got its coaching staff in place for 2022. A lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different stories with all these guys. But the one thing I think you can agree with is it comes together to look like a pretty impressive group. And we'll see how they perform and how they develop starting with spring practice, which is only going to be a couple of weeks away. Let's take a look around the rest of the league this is sec through and we'll do our sec through here in a moment or as we like to call it cruise around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean before we get a chance to do any of that i gotta tell you about my friends at royal caribbean because i am still basking in the glow literally somebody said in the comment section a little earlier you can see my tan very well today because i'm wearing the short sleeve shirt i know that's Vain, and I apologize for being that way, but I, I do enjoy getting a little winter tan. I feel like if you're good in tan in February, now turning into March, you're doing something right in life. So I am happy to have a little bit of a glow going because I had a great time. We were on Harmony of the Seas last week, my wife and I, and it was just such an incredible experience. Whether it be the stuff we were doing, the various sports of call, I told you about Perfect Day Coco Coco K yesterday. But also the stuff we're doing on board, reading, specialty restaurants like Chop's Grill or, or, or going to the Johnny Rockets and getting a burger and a shake. We're enjoying the, the shows. There's an aqua theater show on Harmony of the Seas that we were on. There's a huge like aqua amphitheater type thing on the back of the ship and there's a high diving show. This is like a really amazing performance and it's just so cool to see like that i'm talking about very very high dives on the ship while it's moving at sea first of all i'm kind of wobbling around as it is these folks are diving off these you know high dive type things it's an incredible show there's a great ice skating show we had a chance to see i told you before like i was walking around one night there's like live music being played at five different venues on board the ship uh it's just such an incredible experience and I want all of you to be a part of the same kind of experience at least a similar experience with us i'm actually looking forward to being on a different ship we go in april independence of the sea sailing out of port canaveral or leaving on april 25th going to nassau going to perfect day coco K and there is still a little bit of time for you to join us and space is limited here obviously everything's kind of getting filled up and everybody's getting their, getting their travel plans kind of locked away but if you've been on the fence about this take it from me as someone who just did this myself. You want to do this? You want to be a part of this great Royal Caribbean cruise experience? See Perfect Day, Coco Cay, have some fun in Nassau. We did a great snorkeling experience in Nassau. It's a cool port. You can do a lot of different things in Big Harbour. Go to go to Paradise Island or something like that. There's all kinds of really cool things going on. So go to DogNation.com right there at the top of the page. There's a link to click into. It'll get you in touch with our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority. They're helping us book all of this up. We're getting some folks locked and loaded, a few more folks ready to go, and we're going to just have a great time on the seas with Royal Caribbean, Independence of the Seas, a beautiful ship, recently amplified, just uh, all kinds of really cool stuff there. Uh, Having a terrific time with all of that, so make sure you check out uh, dognation.com or go to dognationcruise.com and find out more about that. Sailing on Independence of the Seas out of Port Canaveral. And uh, getting ready to have some great times and all that. So we're cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, right now. Uh, You heard Mike Griffith say this a moment ago. NFL scouting combine begins today. I guess John Mitchie said some things. I don't really care about that much, one way or another. A lot of the stuff that these guys say, like they're asked questions in a certain way. Like what are they supposed to say? You know, it's like. And listen, nobody loves you know a hot you know comment more than I do, and making a big deal about things. I told you before, I'm a little bit of a carnival barker by nature, but. Some of the things that some of these players sometimes get criticized for, for saying, it's like when the question is kind of framed in a certain way, it's like, what are, they, what, are they, what are they supposed to say? So I don't know that I make a big deal about necessarily all that kind of stuff. I did think this was kind of interesting, though. And this just sort of speaks to what's happening with, with uh, UGA guys in the Combine. So there's a guy named Josh Edwards, uh, cbsports.com They're kind of doing some pre-Combine stories. And I thought this was really interesting. Let me see if I can find this. So here's the question that was posed in kind of a roundtable type fashion which under the radar prospect is bound to be a household name after the combine that's a pretty pretty interesting thing to have pretty interesting thing to have said under the radar prospect bound to be a household name after the combine and edwards from cbsports.com says he thinks it's going to be georgia linebacker quay walker listen to this he's built like a superhero and should move like one as well there is buzz that he will test as one of the best prospects pound for pound how about that in an era where nfl teams value speed at the linebacker position and the ability to move sideline to sideline unencumbered walker should be coveted by many boy what i have no idea who this writer for cbs sports is i i don't know if he's a respected expert or not but boy that's high praise for quay walker there that's that's pretty cool to be able to see and i don't know i mean you've heard me say this before but I'll, i'll reiterate this right now i love the idea that role players at UGA, guys who had a chance to go transfer and maybe get more glory somewhere else, but stuck it out of Georgia, filled a role, never quite got the level of superstar attention that other players did. Guys like this are now finally getting the, I mean, the ultimate reward we all want is the payday, right? And so Quay Walker may have never appeared on the media guy, didn't go to SEC media days, never appeared on the cover of the tickets or anything like that, but he's about to be dadgum rich, it sounds like, on the basis of what he's about to do at the NFL Scouting Combine because of how hard he worked and grinded there at UGA. This is the way it's all supposed to go. I just think that's a great thing to be able to see, and, and assuming the guy from CBSSports.com is correct in all of that. I love a good happy ending, and I hope Georgia does use this. Not, and It's not just because I – I mean, obviously I'm a Georgia partisan here, so I want good things for Georgia – but this is what we want football to be. At least I think it should be. You know, you know this thing where you're chasing glory, you're chasing attention, you're craving stats. You know, I get the idea of the short-term gain, and it's hard to want to turn that down. I, I, I do get that. But, man, there is something truly valuable about saying – I'm gonna spend my four years as a place. I'm gonna to work to get better. I'm you're never gonna hear a peep out of me. I can't think of five words that Trey uh, that uh, that Quay Walker said the entire time he was at UGA. Like he threw the hat when he uh, when he uh, flipped uh, from from uh, Alabama to Georgia. He flipped the Tennessee hat, but he flipped the Tennessee hat and came to Georgia. I never heard a peep of after him out of him after that ever again. Like he's just like lunch pail comes shows up, does his work and. According to this guy, he's going to be uh, pound for pound one of the best prospects in the NFL scouting combine. That's thrilling to. I hope it turns out to be true. That is really thrilling to hear. So uh, good stuff there on that. Couple of other things here, very quickly for a moment. I thought there was a very interesting story. It was the Montgomery Advertiser that had this, and you know this is one of those things. It sounds like we're kind of picking on Brian Harson. I guess we typically do but but this is a little bit this is a little bit different in terms of if you really want to speak to why a guy like harson's not succeeding at auburn and ultimately what is a bigger problem for him than any unfounded rumors that to this point in time have turned out to be i mean the best we can tell completely untrue because auburn looked for a reason to find him and couldn't find one but the issue ultimately with why they, i think they want to fire him is really related more to what the guy from the montgomery advertiser wrote about a little bit in terms of the fact that there are a lot of high-profile high school coaches in, Alabama, in the state of Alabama who say they haven't met Brian Harson. Let me give you one example of this. So are you familiar with Thompson High School in Birmingham? This is a big-time program. Think about, like, Tony Mitchell. Think about Peter Woods. Think about huge prospects. Uh, a couple of five-star type guys from a year ago there as well. Thompson is a major producer of uh, prospects, and the head coach there is uh, Mark Freeman. So Mark Freeman's the head coach of Thompson High School in Alabaster, Alabama. Big-time five-star prospects the last couple of years, including a couple of guys for this year. And Freeman says he hasn't met Brian Harson. Like how is it that if you're Brian Harson that that a guy like, you know, the head coach of Thompson High School in Alabama would say yeah, I'm not. I'm not. not, not really sure what, he, what 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 he's all about. Who he is. We haven't met each other yet. Like that, that's that's crazy to me. Now, Thompson doesn't necessarily criticize him for that in the story. He just says he hasn't hasn't met him. It's just a fact that 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 uh, Harson hasn't been to Thompson High School to meet him as of yet. Now Auburn's not winning with those kind of prospects, you know, the Mitchells and and, and whatnot. But but the 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 point that a lot of and there there are a ton of high school coaches interviewed in this article. And this is really probably. Even though it's interesting to hear the way in which that Harson is failing with some of the best high school coaches in the state of Alabama, what's more interesting and what made the story itself worth your time, worth my time to share with you here a little bit is, is there were several high school coaches who said something in this article that I thought was really very instructive about the way in which you establish a program somewhere and the way in which you establish yourself as the kind of guy who's going to have some staying power in a state. And the one thing a lot of these coaches said over and over again is, hey, are you only talking to me when I have a player who can play for you? Or are you talking to me every single year, talking to me about the guys that I played against and getting my thoughts on them, just establishing a relationship with me? And we all know this, right? We've got some friends who seem to only want to be around us when they want something from us. And maybe sometimes we're that friend that only reaches out to somebody else. when We want something from them. And that always just feels wrong, right? And you can always tell if you're doing it to somebody else, or you can always tell if somebody else is trying to do that to you. That making a relationship transactional like that just always just something about that doesn't quite feel right. And it's interesting to hear these coaches say, whether it be Harson or somebody else, I can tell when a college coach wants a transactional relationship with me. When 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 that's this is not a person who wants to be in kind of a long range relationship where we just kind of you know you stop by the school we just sort of chop it up a little bit and you know there's really very little to for, to to be gained by you from doing that we're just doing that because that's what you do um i think that's uh i think that's really pretty interesting to hear these coaches say that brian harson just kind of fails there in that regard i think that's a uh, pretty interesting to hear that one more thing i'll get to you here uh, as well interesting column in the la times the other day but the sec kind of being the big loser related to the lack of college well playoff expansion and i think most people kind of view that as to be pretty ridiculous in the case of greg sankey he said over and over again hey we weren't asking for this to begin with the idea that not expanding somehow hurts us you know he says listen we, we just had two teams play for the national championship clearly the 14 playoffs working out pretty well for us uh, right now but the actual columnist who i'm not all that familiar with um he said something else in this story that i thought was kind of interesting i wanted to share this with you for a moment he says uh, about the notion that the SEC could eventually threaten just to kind of pull out of the college football playoff. He says, would that be an empty threat? Probably. Sankey's constituents are deeply driven by a desire for regional superiority. However, college football can't just mean more, and he puts that in in, uh, in, in italics, in the SEC if the conference can't prove it against the rest of the union. I wonder if that's so true. I, mean, I have to admit, I do think about this a good bit. Uh, When you look at certain leagues and what seems to be a lack of commitment to the sport at the same level the SEC has, certainly a lack of talent in comparison with the SEC kind of has dominating it right now um does it really benefit the SEC for the rest of time to continue to go through the facade and the charade of acting like there are four other leagues at the same level the SEC is there's a portion of the Big Ten that probably plays at the same level the SEC does but boy the portion even of that league that actually does that seems to be getting smaller and smaller I think the columnist here even though he brings this up somewhat rhetorically or sarcastically I'm not quite so sure that at some point in time in the future we aren't talking more about this that is there really much of a point in the SEC validating other leagues, such as the Pac-12 or the Big 12 or the ACC, by participating in the same postseason that these inferior leagues get a chance to participate in? I think it's worth considering that in the very near future, and I think that's pretty interesting. We'll make that cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management, before we get ready to wrap up today, I want to mention something here really, 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 really quickly. I'm going to do this kind of fast. So obviously, I'm as frustrated as anyone by being a big, long-time baseball fan, Major League Baseball in particular. I am very, very frustrated about the uh, continued work stoppage and the lockout imposed by the owners that's now going to postpone the start of the season. Opening day is not going to happen as planned based on all the stuff that's come out over the last couple of days. But I have to wonder. I saw the Diamond Dogs get a nice win against Wofford last night up in Greenville. Long game, four-hour-plus game with the Diamond Dogs getting ready to also play a weekend series coming up against Georgia Tech, I have to kind of wonder, and I've admitted this before, I'm a little late to the party on this, but over the course of the last five years, I've pretty well discovered that college baseball is a really fun sport. These SEC weekend series where you have the ace pitchers going on Friday, by the time you get to Sunday, it's sort of a Johnny Holstaff thing where you're just trying to, you know, get the win and, and move on. The atmosphere around these ballparks, it's really pretty amazing. So, I don't know. Maybe obviously we can't talk a ton of baseball on the show because, you know, so much of our audience wants to hear the the daily, you know, uh, grind with the football team. But but I do hope that the SEC, Diamond Dogs, UGA in particular, I, I do hope college baseball gets some much deserved attention here this spring since there will be no Major League Baseball. And my thought is, is that more folks kind of do pay attention to that. I think what they're going to discover is is that college baseball, the brand played at Foley Field across the SEC, is actually pretty uh, entertaining. With the way in which the SEC network covers this, more available than it's ever been before. And maybe you may find out that you don't miss baseball quite so much because baseball actually not gone away. It's actually a pretty cool brand of baseball being played at the college level. Aluminum bats, the loud pings and everything else. And I think some folks who tune in to enjoy that might find out that it's actually a, a pretty good product all right as we wrap up here today uh golden shoe time we'll go back in the past here for a little bit because i thought this was really funny so we have some alabama fans and some non-georgia fans who kind of participate in our comment section on a regular basis just because there's not a lot of shows like this and so they have kind of a little bit of fun doing some of that kind of stuff and some of our georgia fan listeners and viewers like to give a hard time to some of those guys and gals every now and then and so i guess this is a thing now Uh, i was out of town when this happened but uh 218 uh that's obviously the second 18 touchdown play for uh georgian 80 mitchell frankie fibonacci says don't forget to wish one of our alabama fans we call him uh, G grace a happy uh 218 for second 18 for georgia so georgia fans have certainly been on the receiving end of some of that kind of stuff in the past and frankie fibonacci says now we're going to turn the tables and all that so we'll make frankie a golden shoe winner for today by the way lousy stinking gators long national title drought for them gatorator updater 400 four, four I should say 4,000. 801 days and then back in Jacksonville beating Florida again for the first time under Billy Napier 241 days from right now that is our Gatorator countdown we will see you tomorrow Dog Nation Daily presented by Breda Pest Management and on the podcast I'm now for the R.S. Andrews podcast cool down of course we appreciate them making this possible and we appreciate you hanging around this long there as well I'll also tell you this that on the video version of the cool down today I know a lot of you are comfortable listening to the podcast we certainly appreciate you doing that one thing that we did have on video today was mike griffith from indianapolis came back on and provided us some coverage of the george pickens press conference from indianapolis it was like broken up in a couple parts because it was kind of you know uh there was a little helter skelter but sometimes that's the way it goes mike did a good job of getting some of that and really some very interesting answers from pickens on a wide-ranging number of questions so if you want to check out the video on that we may pull that out self-contained later on too but if you want a good video of some of the stuff from pickens that was from today on the video version of our rs andrews cool down on dog nation daily presented by breda past management so maybe you maybe you can uh, check that out there on that uh for now i'll get a couple of comments here and uh fantastic six weighs in to say that he likes how i think saying that he agrees with something I've said in the past—that Mike Bobo was not a hire to be set up to be a, the eventual offensive coordinator or anything like anything like that in the future. He says so I do believe that he could help implement the running game, though, and I uh, have uh, and have proven that he's a very knowledgeable there in that area. Yeah, listen, I think that there's no doubt that Bobo is a good football mind, and I think that he has been a successful offensive coordinator, including at UGA. I don't think the last couple of years for Bobo were necessarily all that great and I think that's one of the things and I kind of alluded to this on the regular show yesterday it's kind of one of the things that made him a little bit different than Will Muschamp that Muschamp taking a step down from head coach after leaving or you know being fired from South Carolina at the end of the 2020 season he still was very sought after as um as a big-time defensive coordinator you know offered big money to go to Texas place like that I don't think he really wanted to do that I think that he's in a stage of his life where I think he was actually kind of The best I could tell, kind of excited about being just an analyst at UGA, but he was the kind of guy that, you know, now he's in a much bigger role at Georgia, and he could have taken that role somewhere else before the start of the 2021 season if he wanted to. I just don't think that he that he wanted to. I think that Bobo, with all due respect, is probably in a little bit different stage of his career right now, in that, you know, after the the issue at Auburn, after the issue at South Carolina, the way it ended for him at Colorado State, there may be a little bit more of a wait-and-see approach in the coaching market about Bobo right now, and that's oftentimes what, what leads a guy to want to be an analyst. So I do think that uh, right now Mike Bobo is not going to be anybody's offensive coordinator, at least for a little while, but uh, he'll get a chance to certainly contribute there to UGA. And you know, if, if Kirby wanted Mike Bobo as, as his offensive coordinator, he could have already had him in that role. But now that Todd Munkin has proven to be so successful, the idea that smart would act as a speed bump on that success, that just doesn't make very logical sense to me. And I think most of you are kind of on the same page with me about that, although there is kind of a weird strain of concern about what Bobo's presence as an analyst kind of means. Something else that... uh, fantastic six said he said uh he enjoys having me back from vacation he says having to listen to those bama fans on the fine bomb show is driving me nuts well fantastic six i'm uh, happy to have uh happy happy to have you in the comment section there too also on the video side yesterday we talked about nfts a little bit somebody wants us to do a dog nation daily nft and he said that he could hook us up and get us in the right direction on that mentions the players lounge and uh dgd mafia and some stuff like that so good to know that we have audience that's well-versed in the world of nfts there as well all right good stuff thanks for being here and we uh certainly appreciate you uh being here as part of our rs andrews podcast cool down today so check them out online rsandrews.com air conditioning heating plumbing electric needs uh air conditioning season we're getting actually close to being back into that again so get ready to get your system tuned back up to factory fresh specs keep you cool as the spring gets closer You can check out RS Andrews for a lot more on that. We will check you out back again tomorrow as a part of Dog Nation Daily presented by Breda Pest Management. We will look forward to seeing you then.